you for listening to this message from Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship. We hope you'll be inspired to honor God and make disciples. Well, last week, I think we set a record. I think our, our series on the Ten Commandments was the longest series that we've ever had. <laughs> Thank God for his love by giving insight through his word about how life works best as we experience it, as we experience him to the fullest through his word, learning to love God and to love others. If any of you missed any of those sermons, if you want to go back, you can always check them out online at our website, lifeinthesunguam.org. You know, I want to come back to uh, a comment that Noy made from the frontier, the worship leader, for those of you who don't know. Noy's an old friend. We go way, way, way back to when he first got out of college. He wasn't even married yet, sitting back there next to Sandy. And uh, I just appreciated my brother's heart over the years just leading us into the presence of God. So thank you, Noe. But he shared that devotional there about God's love. The Bible says that God is love. And this week, it's been on my heart, just in the back of my mind, in my private devotions, in, in my personal time of seeking the Lord, God, how can I love you more? And how can I love people more? Because you ever get to that place where you just feel like you hit the wall and you have limitations? And it's like, how do I get past where I'm at now? No, he was asking that question that God was asking, where are you? God knew where he was, but more importantly, there's a deeper question. Where are you in your heart? Where, where are you in relationship to God? And so I've been asking the Lord, God, how can I get to a place of loving you more? I began to search the scriptures, and he brought my attention to 1 John chapter 4, which is written by the Apostle John. Um, beautiful chapter. I encourage you to read it. 1 John chapter 4 talks about love. And there's a verse in there. I'd like to pop it up on the screen for us. As we live in God, our love grows more perfect. And if we could turn on the back TV monitor as well. The Bible says God is love. Now, most of you already knew that. But here's the more important question. How many of us actually feel that? And if we do, how long do we feel it? Is it often on Sunday morning when we're together in worship like this? Oftentimes it is. But a more important question is, how about when you do something really bad? How do you feel then? More importantly, how do you think God feels about you in that moment? And how you answer that question will make all the difference on whether or not you're able to experience God's love and whether or not you're able to grow in being able to love God. Mike Bickle is the founder of IHOP. How many of you have heard of IHOP? Not the one we have here on Guam. This one is the International House of Prayer, founded in Kansas City. Mike Bickle is the founder of IHOP, and he wrote a great book entitled Passion for Jesus. And uh, Zarina was the one who recommended this. We're, doing, uh, we're featuring a book of the month. We're making it available for you. The subtitle of this is Cultivating Extravagant Love for God. And he's all about that verse I just pointed out to you, 1 John 4, 17. 
You know, as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. And I just thought this book was an answer to prayer for me, and I want to recommend it to you. If you'd like to learn more about growing in your love relationship with God, these are available. You can purchase them at the information corner, which is to the back and to your left. Sound good? Well, as we begin, um, let's go ahead and pray. If you would bow your heads with me. Father, I thank you for your great love. And Lord, I thank you that you just gave me a sense that you're removing the barriers that have prevented us from being able to experience you, to see you, to perceive you, to be in you. And Lord, I thank you that by your great love, your mercy and grace, you are removing the veil, removing the veil from our hearts so that we can enter into your presence. And I pray, God, that you would allow us to experience you more and more as we come to you by faith, as we come to you trusting and believing that you're a rewarder of those who seek you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to begin this morning by taking a quick survey. And so by a show of hands, how many of you are under the age of 25? If you would raise your hand. Don't lie. (laughs) If you're under the age of 25, raise your hand. Okay, quite a few of you. Great. I have a couple questions. If you're a young person, or if you're a spiritually young Christian, have you ever felt limited in what you can do because of your maturity? Do you feel like you don't have a green light to make a difference because maybe you lack experience? If this describes you, I want to invite you to think outside the box starting today. And thinking out the box means this. Don't assume that the results depend on you. In other words, don't think about what you can do, but rather think about what God can do. If you make yourself available to God, if you listen to him, if you join him in what he's doing, think about what God can do with a person like that. Now let me ask you this. Does that kind of person have an age limit? No. Have you ever considered how God gets greater glory when he uses people no one expects? Have you noticed throughout many stories in the Bible how God uses unassuming people that no one notices? Remember David and Goliath? Did you know David was the youngest of eight children? The youngest. And the prophet Samuel was told by God to go to Jesse's house with anointing oil. And he said, I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And so Samuel did as God said. He went to Jesse's house He said, I'm here to anoint one of your sons as the future king. Uh, Can you have your sons gather? And so, of course, starting with the oldest one, and he was handsome, and he was tall, and he was strong. And the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at outward appearance. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. He's not the one. Samuel said, do you have another son? So he brought the other son by, and the Lord said, no, that's not the one. Went through all, all the sons that dad brought in. None of them were the one. Samuel's like, hmm, strange. He said to dad, do you have another son? He said, well, yeah, he's just a little guy, but he's out there in the field shepherding the sheep. 
And, Dan, and, and Samuel said, go get him. We won't leave until he's here. And so then in came David. He was ruddy. He was handsome. And the Lord said to Samuel, he's the one. And Samuel anointed him with oil. And scripture says, from that point on, the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David. Did you know David was about 15 or 16 years old when he took down Goliath? Goliath was over nine feet tall. Can God use young people? How about Joseph? Did you also know that Joseph was the youngest in his family? He was the youngest of his brothers. And God spoke to Joseph in a dream that he would one day be a ruler. And if you didn't know the end of the story, you would think that Joseph was a victim of ruthless and careless and, and uncaring people. Little did anyone know, God was using every single person to put Joseph in the right place at the right time so that one day he would be able to save a nation and his family from a famine that would last seven years. Can God use young people? The title of this sermon today, as we start a new series, is entitled Game Changer. Game Changer is about God using young people to make a difference in this generation. The subtitle is this, Changing the World Has No Age Limit. Changing the World Has No Age Limit. What do you think about that? Is that true? We see examples of it in the Bible, but is it for today? Let me share with you a couple modern-day examples. Has anyone heard the story of Robert Heft? Robert Heft. He was a 17-year-old high school student. His history teacher gave him a project to design a new flag to represent the addition of Alaska and Hawaii as the 49th and 50th states. He got a B- minus for the project. And he complained to the teacher. He said, you know, I think my project is worth an A+. And the teacher said, oh, yeah, if you think your project's that good, why don't you submit it to Congress? Sounds a little sarcastic to me. But you know what? Be careful what you dare a young person to do. <laughs> Goliath made that mistake. That kid turned in his project among 1,500 other contestants. And on August 21st, 1959, President Eisenhower signed an executive order stating that Robert Heft, as the designer of our current American flag, he was 17 years old. Can a young person make a difference? Has anyone ever heard of the story of Joseph Bombardier? Joseph Bombardier was born in Quebec, Canada in 1907. When he was just 15 years old, he created the first snowmobile. He went on to develop the world's first snowmobile company. Can young people make a difference? Have you heard of the story of Louis, Louis Braille? Louis Braille was a little boy living in France. He was injured and blinded at the age of three. At the age of 10, he received a scholarship to a school for the blind. At that time, it was the only school of its kind in the world. But there was only so much that little Louis could learn from lectures only. He wanted to read. 
In those days, the French military had a system for reading without looking, but it was invented by somebody who could see. And that inventor of that system had a disadvantage because he did not have the perspective of someone who was truly blind. And little Luis was inspired to create a better system. And so, at the age of 15, he created what we now know as modern Braille, an entire alphabet that you can read by simply running your finger across it. Luis could have used his handicap as a reasonable excuse. Understandably, he could have decided not to do anything, not to attempt something new, something that no one had ever done before because he was blind. Or maybe because he's just too young. Interestingly, his condition gave him advantage because he had a perspective to create a system that would truly be relevant and practical to people who are blind. Can a 15-year-old really make a difference? The next time you're at a crosswalk or an ATM, take a moment just to notice the little dots on the keypad. Changing the world has no age limit. We're going to look at another story of a young man in the Bible. His name is Josiah. His story is found in 2 Chronicles 34. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 31 years. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He walked in the ways of David his father, and he did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. Now, in the story of Josiah, you need to know some background. Everything was going against him. His grandfather was a very bad king by the name of Manasseh. Manasseh was a record-setting sinner. He led Judah and the people of Jerusalem astray so that they did more evil than all the nations that God had removed before Israel got there. That's how bad he was. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they paid no attention. Manasseh even sacrificed his own children to false gods. And he shed so much innocent blood that he filled Jerusalem from end to end. That's 2 Kings chapter 21. He was severely shamed and punished by God, and this caused him to repent. And so he saved himself. But the damage to the nation was permanent. And then, that, that was Josiah's grandfather. Then there was his father, whose name was Ammon. He too did evil in the eyes of the Lord, as his father Manasseh had done. Ammon worshipped and offered sacrifices to all the idols that his father Manasseh had made. Ammon would only rule for two years before his own officials would assassinate him. And then the people of the land killed all who had plotted against Ammon, and they made Josiah his son king in his place when he was only eight years old. Now the country, just imagine, the country and the culture was full of sin. And just imagine a little boy, eight years old, named Josiah, growing up with a father and a grandfather who destroyed everything around them. That was his family. How would Josiah feel? How would he respond to his new position of now being responsible with cleaning up this mess? Was it a hopeless situation? Is it possible to change a nation so bent on destruction Is there any point to even try and change anything? 
Josiah was eight years old when he became king. Can such a young person make a difference? What we'll see in Josiah's life is not only did he make a difference, he single-handedly stopped his nation's fall into evil and he brought them back to a level of devotion to God that had not been seen in hundreds of years. How did he do it? How in the world did he do it? Here are three characteristics of world-changing young people. Number one, you have to decide to seek God. You have to decide. Second Chronicles 34 says, He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. In the eighth year of his reign, meaning he was now 16 years old, it says, in the eighth year of his reign, when he was still young, he began to seek God, the God of his father David. That's the first step. The first step of being used by God to change the world around you is to make a decision. The decision is this. Who will you serve? Who will you live for? And who will be your Lord? Josiah's father and grandfather chose to live sinful lives. They gave in to the pressure of the world. But Josiah decided to go in a different direction. Josiah decided to follow God despite the environment and the family that he grew up in. You know, it's not, in, it's not, what, it's not what happens to you that matters. What matters is how you respond. It's not what happens to you that matters. What matters is how you respond. You can say, yes, I struggle with this sin, but I refuse to be known by this any longer. You can say, yes, I may have less than others, but I choose to make the best with what I have. You can say, yes, I've come from a broken home, but I believe Jesus can give me a great family. You can say, yes, I have this situation, but like Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so here's a summary of Josiah's life and how he responded. At the age of 16, Josiah began to seek God. At the age of 20, he began to purge the nation of idolatry. And at the age of 26, he repaired the temple. Which brings us to the second characteristic of world-changing young people. There needs to be a determination to obey God a determination to obey God. Continuing on in verse 3. In his twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of high places, Asherah poles and idols. And under his direction, the altars of the Baals were torn down. He cut to pieces the incense altars that were above them and smashed the Asherah poles and the idols. These he broke to pieces and scattered over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He burned the bones of the priest on their altars, and so he purged Judah and Jerusalem. Wow, that sounds pretty radical. Josiah was determined to obey God's command not to have idols. We talked about this in our last series. After Josiah's decision to seek God comes a determination to obey God and a very detailed wrecking plan to get rid of all that stuff that shouldn't be there. He systematically destroyed all the forms of idol worship. Josiah destroyed everything that was dishonoring to God because 
You know, there's no middle ground between God and sin. Every little compromise is an indicator that, st- that sin still has a hold in our lives. We can't affect real change if we have compromise in our lives. You know, one of the most common failings of kings written, written about kings in the Bible? It says, the high places, however, were not removed. Now, what were these high places? High places were specific sites of idol worship. Israelites would say they worshiped God, but they continued to pray to idols in high places. So what do these high places represent? High places and their idols represent substitutes for God. Remember, we talked about that commandment number two as we got into the series on 10. But you know, those who pursue God and pursue substitutes at the same time, you can never be happy in that condition or in that state. Because if, if you're truly a Christian, you have Christ within you. And you take him with you wherever you go. And he's with you no matter what you do. And so if you're out there in the world and you're involved in things that are compromising, that are unpleasing to God, you're not happy there because you know it grieves the Holy Spirit. On the other hand, when you're over here in church, you're not really comfortable here either because you know you have this sin. And it's like you can't be happy either way. I'd like to share with you an illustration that, uh, that talks about this. I've got two drinks here. This is a Frappuccino. Wow. Anybody like Starbucks Frappuccino? You have to shake it before you open it. Another favorite drink of mine, this is orange juice. Got to shake that one too. So oftentimes for some of us, it's kind of like, man, I love both these drinks. Frappuccino, mocha, orange juice. Is this foremost? No, Tropicana. And for a lot of us, it's like we have both of these in our hands. And so one morning we wake up and you're like, I love you, Lord. (sighs) That's so good. I really love you, Lord. Hmm. Later on in the day, I smoke weed. Whoa. Another day we wake up, we're like, you know what, Lord? Today I think I want to get into your word. Ah, that's so good. Later that night, wow, naked girls on the internet. Mmm. Wow. My stomach doesn't feel so good. Why is that? Now, some of us might say, well, Pastor Mark, I'm not that bad. I just have a little sin. You know, to be honest, I'm 90% God. I just have a little bit of sin. Ugh. That's sick. (laughs) Can't be happy either way. What compromises are you keeping from following God? Josiah destroyed all the idols. He destroyed all the substitutes. In spite of his young age, he was able to lead and transform a nation because he had determined in his heart to obey God. 
want to say <clears throat> just a quick word about motivation. It's not enough just to obey God. I mean, how many of you have ever had a teacher or a boss that you didn't like, but you obeyed what they said? It's more than just obedience. That's just discipline. That's just, uh, you know, covering your tracks. That's different from having a heart where you really are connected to somebody and you care about them, and because of that relationship, you want to please them and you want to serve them. You know, Mike Bickle, in his book, he shares his personal story. His brother was in a tragic accident, very athletic young man, and his brother became a paraplegic in a moment when he broke his neck. And then shortly after that, his father passed away. And his dad asked him before he passed away, if anything happens to me, would you be sure to take care of your brother? And he made a promise to his dad. He said, yes, I will. He spent many years in and out of hospitals and therapeutic programs. And in that process, he was able to, to, to observe something about hospital life. He said, there are many wonderful nurses in hospitals. And they do their jobs, and they're trained to do their jobs. And he said, it doesn't happen often, but every once in a while, you'll find a situation where a nurse falls in love with the patient. And he said, when that happens, the level of care that nurse provides for that patient goes way beyond anything that happened over here when it was just a job description. And the point is this, you can obey God out of routine and discipline. It's a whole other story when you fall in love with God and all you want to do is be with him, walk with him, and please him. Amen. The third characteristic of a world-changing world young people is devotion to the Word of God. In 2 Kings 23, neither in the days of the judges who led Israel, nor in the days of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah had any such Passover been observed. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was celebrated to the Lord in Jerusalem. Furthermore, Josiah got rid of the mediums and the spiritists the household gods and the idols and all the other detestable things seen in Judah and Jerusalem. This he did to fulfill the requirements of the law written in the book that Hilkiah the priest had discovered in the temple of the Lord. Verse 25, Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his strength, in accordance with all the law of Moses. Wow, what an epitaph. Josiah saw his kingship as a place for God to move, not a platform for personal gain. All the moves that he made were for the purpose of glorifying God in his devotion to God. In fact, he's praised for being the single most devoted king to God, and in many ways, he even surpassed King David. What was Josiah devoted to? He was devoted to God's word. He took the book of the law that had been lost. In other words, for hundreds of years, people didn't even bother to read it. They weren't even celebrating the Passover anymore. The very thing that identified them as God's people, who were these weak slaves, who were helpless, under Egypt's rule, and God delivered them through powerful, miraculous signs and wonders and the plagues, 
And then he instructed them to sacrifice a lamb, put it on the door lintels of their, of their homes. The death angel passed over. They were delivered. They off into the desert. God saved them from Pharaoh's army, drowned them in the Red Sea, provided manna by day, cloud by day, fire by night. It was just this amazing thing. And the Passover was for the purpose of remembering all of that. So generation after generation, they would tell the story to their kids, this is who our God is. And they had stopped doing any of that. They forgot about all of it. And then Hilkiah the priest, he found the word of the Lord, and he brought it to Josiah, and Josiah was completely devoted to carrying out the word of the Lord, and he reinstituted the Passover that had not been conducted in Judah or Israel for many, many, many years. The game changer for, Jos for Josiah was when Hilkiah discovered the law, he found it, and Josiah followed it completely. Key word being completely. Second Chronicles 34.30 And the king went up to the house of the Lord, and all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and the priests and the Levites, and all the people, both great and small, and he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. Can you imagine a politician today getting up in public and gathering all the people so he could read the Bible to us? That's what was happening. That's how devoted and committed he was to the word of the Lord. And this was the result of his life. Second Chronicles 34, 33. And Josiah took away all the abominations from all the territory that belonged to the people of Israel and made all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. Now, I don't know if you caught that. Josiah is the king of Judah. Right now, this passage is talking about Israel. And if you recall, the kingdom had been divided into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was Israel. The southern kingdom was Judah. His influence even went beyond the borders of his kingdom. And he had, an, he had an influence on the country north of him. His cousins, his brothers and sisters, as Israelites. That's how vast his influence was. All his days he did not turn away from following the Lord, the God of their fathers. So here's the main point. Changing the world has no age limit. Changing the world has no age limit. No matter how young or old you are, God can use you to bring change. Now, there's a story about Steve Merle. For those who don't know, he's the president of our ministry, Every Nation. And he started out some 20-odd years ago in Manila just as a missionary to the Philippines for a summer. He thought he was going to be there for three months. And so they were reaching college students, and because he thought he was short-term, he was trying to train up people as fast as he could in, like, one-to-one, -one, said, hey, let's get through this. Next week, you're going to take somebody else through it because in a couple months, I'm out, and so it's up to you. It's all you. And that was his mentality. That's what they were doing, student after student after student after student. They were just training as fast as they could and giving off responsibilities as fast as they could. Well, little did he know that that three-month assignment turned into 20 years. And 20 years later, the church is more than 80,000 people in the Philippines. And so one day, they were having a celebration event. And many of these guys who were young college students way back in the day, they were now senior leaders 
in the movement. And they were getting up one by one and just giving thanks to Steve, saying, thank you for trusting us. Now, if you know Steve, he's this real straightforward kind of guy. <laughs> and he later said, well, actually, I wasn't trusting you. <laughs> I was trusting God. <laughs> and the point is this. Here at Life in the Sun, we trust God to use you as young people. We're trusting God to use you as young people. Now, doing that can be a little messy <laughs> because you're going to make messes, right? And we're going to clean it up. But that's what parents do. When you're at home, you let your kids feed themselves and you let them do things around the house and sometimes a glass gets broken or whatever. And we have to sweep it up, but that's what we do in family. And that's the way it's going to be as we learn to trust equip and empower young people to serve God and to be used by God. We have a college group. We have a high school group. Next month, September, we have two teams. They're going to be here for a period of four weeks altogether. Uh, from Manila, and there's going to be lots of activity happening at UOG and over at GCC. And if you want to be a part of what's happening, I want to invite you to uh, see Andy. He's sitting right over there. Raise your hand, Andy. Or is AJ here? There's AJ in the middle. And uh, AJ just came back from the School of World Missions. They're going to be over there in the information corner after the service. And if you'd like more information about how you can get plugged in, there's going to be lots of opportunity coming up as the school year starts to engage students at GCC or UOG. Amen? Let me close with this. If you're a young person, I want you to know, I want you to know, it's possible for God to use you to change the world. Even if everything is going against you. Remember Joseph. Remember what happened to him. And remember, it's not what happens that matters. What matters is how you respond. There are three characteristics of world-changing young people. The real question is this. Will you make a decision to live for God? Will you be determined to fully obey God in all areas of your life? And will you demonstrate devotion to God and to his word? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for each person here today. Lord, I pray for each young person and every person that is a young Christian who's young spiritually. And God, I ask that you would help them to know that it's not about what they can do. Lord, would you reveal to our hearts and minds it's about what you can do. It's about what you can do to the person who seeks you to the person who chooses to follow you and to obey you and be devoted to your word. God, I pray that you would help every one of us in this room to be faithful, to be available, to be submissive, to be teachable to the leading of your Holy Spirit.